When I was about to speak at We Day, um, my dad told me that there was no reason to be worried because I was just a vessel for my message and it wasn't about me. And the moment I was able to decenter myself and just focus on the issue that I cared about and the story that I believed was important for others to hear, that was the moment that the nerves dissipated and I was able to be the kind of agent for change that I would aspire to be for myself. And that piece of advice, while it was speech specific, has carried me forward in all of my endeavors. And I think I really am unafraid in some realms to take risks and apply for things, go after things, because i it's not about me at all. Um, it's about the message and the values that I believe are so important. Um, so I would say that that's the piece of advice that's at least resonating right now. Hi there, welcome to the Look for Strength podcast, where we share exceptional stories from exceptional individuals around the world for exceptional listeners. I'm Amay Look, and I'm your host. Today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Aisha Emerson, who just graduated from Harvard University and is to attend Oxford this fall. Aisha has been at the helm of many not-for-profit projects. She founded the selfie camps when she was in high school, she spoke at We Day in Vancouver about mental health, and more recently co-founded the Dear Chair Project to connect people over the pandemic. It was the first time I ever shared my story with anyone beyond a very close circle of family. Um, because especially, it's amazing kind of how quickly things changed, but especially back then, um, mental health didn't feel like something that we could talk about and it certainly didn't feel like something I felt like talking about because I wanted to still be known as Asia, not as my illness. Probably to quote the speech itself, I think I said that. In doing so, I fed into a stigma that I no longer want to be a part of. Mental illness, whatever its roots, must be confronted openly and honestly so that we can support others who are struggling. <laughs> How are you doing? So where are you right now? I'm in Victoria, BC. Okay. Um, I'm here for the summer. Oh, so nice. Um, so are you working in Victoria? I am. I'm doing... Um, this is not an internship, it's an actual proper big girl job for the first time. Um, constituency office uh, for, she's the representative for Saanich and Gulf Islands. So helping her out, which has been super fun. I'm just on my second week of the job. So just for context, Asia and I, we went to school together. Um, I think you were in grade 12 when I was in grade nine. Um, I think that's what it was. Um, I remember I was like, I would always look up to you so much because like you were head girl, you were doing all of the things even back then. Um, and I already gave kind of like a brief intro, um, but I would love to hear more about yourself. I probably missed some things um, and kind of like where you see yourself in five years, just to start with that. <laughs> just start with the question that keeps me up every night. No. <laughs> Um, I really couldn't tell you where I see myself in five years. I can give you the sketch of my one year and then where I hope that will somewhat take me. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm working this summer with Elizabeth May. Um, and she, of course, is a champion for environmentalism. Uh, the first person from the Green Party to be elected to parliament. 
And so that's just been a really inspiring experience. And what kind of the intention behind that experience was, was to provide me with more of a tangible experience in policy work and an understanding governance before I go. And I'm headed to Oxford in the fall doing a one-year master's in nature, society, environmental governance. Um, so trying to bridge those two um, understandings of the more applied and then um, delving back into the theoretical, which is a realm I have too much fun in. Um, and really hoping to kind of join a community of people committed to asking questions around how do we respond to um, rapid technological and environmental change, um, and specifically how do we evolve our governance structures to meet the moment of those of those challenges. And something that is a particularly pertinent question for me, and that's become a guiding call to action through the years, has been how do we respond to challenges by building community and building communities of care and helping fill people's lives with a sense of meaning and purpose through those relationships. Um, my undergraduate studies, I did a DIY degree a, <laughs> or a special concentration in resilience studies. Uh, so that was really my focus was on how individuals, communities, the environment come to endure and thrive in adverse conditions and um, adapt. And um, the kind of like big takeaway, I'm you're going to learn very quick, I'm, I'm overly verbose. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's okay. the takeaway from that was that... Um, really the key kind of key to resilience is building community and relationships. Um, and so thinking about how we can build that at institutional levels, as well as local levels, um, grassroots le levels. So I hope to kind of move that way with my work, but exactly uh, what spaces I'll be a part of, um, that's, we'll see. I'll let you know in five years. That's great. Um, and I was looking at your um, LinkedIn and your degree. It's also in social anthropology and French. So like, how do those two things kind of weave in? I'm sure they do. But like, how did you kind of see that all fit together? Um, I love talking about school. So <laughs> um, my my major was in resilient studies. But the kind of how that process works at Harvard is you have to petition to create your own degree by forming essentially a mini department with one of the, the faculty at the school. Um, and so the faculty member who I was working with, his name was Professor Kleinman. Um, he's a medical anthropologist focused on the ethics of care. And I was really inspired by um, his critiques of resilience. And he does not believe in resilience. He thinks it's a Western construct. Um, and so my degree became kind of internally critical by having him as a mentor. Um, but also he kind of opened the doors for my love of social anthropology. I think that anthropology just makes living life more interesting to kind of have the different lenses that it offers to better understand people, um, the planet. So that was the social anthropology piece. Um, I kind of just, that was happenstance that I ended up getting that minor in social anthropology and it also helped kind of prepare me for the thesis field work I did. Um, and then the French, I was committed to just keeping up my French. Um, and so I, I powered through and just got a, a, what we call a language citation. Great. Um, and I'm sure that all kind of like weaves into the charity work that you do. Um, you've done so much since you were quite young. Um, could you kind of share what you've been up to recently with your volunteer work um, and different projects? Yeah, I can. We can start kind of more recently and then and then go backwards. Um, but this past spring, so I graduated in December from Harvard. I took a bit of time off during the pandemic, as, as some of us did. And it, that was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, and this past spring, I was working actually for a congressman in D.C. Um, focused on mental health policy and specifically policy pertaining to social media, the impacts of social isolation. 
Um, so that was kind of all consuming for a while. And then I would say one of the kind of the two, oh my gosh. Yeah. There, if there, I've had, I've just been so fortunate to be part of some incredible communities. Um, one of the most salient ones was something called Youth Lead the Change, uh, which I was a part of from my first year at Harvard up until my my fifth year. And it was kind of the final act of my college degree was um, traveling with this group. We teach leadership and social change conferences around the world um, and help kind of students to seed projects to create change in their own communities. And I worked with like thousands of children over the course of college, um, children, young adults, um, and had the privilege of learning from them and their local local contacts. Um, and I would say that that was pretty, pretty all-consuming for a while. Um, and I was able to kind of bring into the fold some of my own experiences doing innovation projects um, and the kind of relationships and mentorship relationships I had growing up that empowered me to um, like take risks and, and build projects with the hope of having impact. I was a happy-go-lucky four-year-old until suddenly there was a jarring change in my behavior. I started to develop severe OCD symptoms, performing set rituals, fearing everything, washing my hands to the point of bleeding. By grade three, these OCD behaviors manifested themselves into restrictive eating. At the age of eight, I was admitted to the BC Children's Hospital for anorexia, risking heart failure two weeks into my admins. Faced with the choice of eating or dying, I finally chose eating, but my fear of food continued to manipulate and torment me. I had the, the fortune to speak at We Day, and I came to a point in my grade 12 year where I realized that I was prepared and felt ready to kind of make meaning through my experiences um, by sharing my story. And I had had tremendous mentorship from older girls, which um, I had learned from, and I was really trying to emulate now that I kind of was one of those older girls. Um, but I shared my story of growing up and um, I struggled with OCD, um, a whole kind of hodgepodge <laughs> Of, of mental health conditions, um, but the main one being um, an eating disorder, which affected me as um, probably developed as a seven or eight-year-old, and I was hospitalized for it as an eight-year-old at the BC Children's, um, which was an experience that forced me to grow up more quickly than <laughs> I could have expected. Um, but I think now when I look back on that experience, um, I feel incredibly fortunate to have had it. And I remember I was living in a ward with about 13 other teenagers, most of whom were around 16. And they told me that I was kind of lucky to be getting it over then. And I didn't know what they meant, of course, because I was really, really struggling, um, really struggling. But I now know that I was able to develop the kind of tools of therapy and counseling um, and of knowing how to build relationships that will support me um, and, ho and hopefully return that gift as well. Um, at that stage, and that's carried me through since. Um, and so that was kind of the gist of what I talked about at We Day was how the supportive, caring relationships um, are, are so key to overcoming any, any challenges, whether it's a mental health condition or anything else. And right now, um, kind of like graduating Harvard and, and going on to Oxford, how have you, um, what are like 
the main skills that you've kind of learned in in dealing with mental health that like you would pass on as advice to to people who are struggling or to people who um just want to maintain um like strong mental health kind of skills that's a really that's a really great question um i mean i think it really is different for everyone um the number one piece of advice i would give i guess is just like find at least one person um to support you and to to be there for you and who you feel like you can share with. And I think I was just incredibly blessed that I had as many possible people I could who were there and rooting for me and who loved me into the person I am today. Um, and so if you can be that person who is showing love for another person, um, that's how we actually create I think the cultures of care that will support us through mental health or just keep us maintaining good and positive mental health. Um, And then the other kind of, I feel like this might be me specific. I don't know how broadly applicable, but I'll venture out to say, I think something that I find incredibly helpful is just, I in general approach my life with a lot of intention. I wouldn't say I have strict goals, goals, um, but I really at each kind of stage think about how am I making meaning Um, and how are my experiences connected to each other. And um, I think just creating a sense of intention in in what you do can be really helpful to offering just guardrails um, in this this crazy world. Um, And then I guess the final piece would be just classic, which is um, like asking, asking for help and not asking for help necessarily in the sense of going and seeking therapy counseling, but asking for help like really, really early on for just about anything. Um, And I think that I was able to learn at a young age how to be a good advocate for myself. My parents forced me into it when I was struggling Um, as an eight-year-old. They made me um, do the advocacy work for myself. Um, And I'm so, so grateful for that. Um, And that carried me through to to St. Michael's even where we went to high school and um, I yeah, I was constantly asking for help from my teachers. And I don't think I would have survived academically there or at Harvard. They tell you that like you can't ask for extensions in university. That is not true. (laughs) If you go about it like thoughtfully. Um, So ask for help would be the other big takeaway. (laughs) And um, in becoming like an advocate for yourself, um, was that kind of what inspired you to kind of do these roles in politics or like enter like as a legislative intern and now a conti- and con- oh my gosh I can't say this word a constituency <laughs> assistant sorry <I> never- <laughs> um yeah I would, say, I would say that university I think as it does for many of us it helps us understand things structurally and I really wanted to understand how the structures of governance function as social determinants of Mm -hmm. mental health. I think that we often design our societies to be relationally impoverished, and we see that increasingly across time. And so I was really interested in kind of learning through the Moulton office and then through through the May office, um, how to utilize politics as a lever for change making. And I think I've had the opportunity to explore that through the nonprofit space, the kind of innovation space, um, range of spaces. And this was trying to understand one other lever for positive change making. And we'll see where that, we'll see where that goes. (laughs) That's great. I would love to see you, um, 
like leading <laughs> leading Canada. Like I, I want to see you like in politics, um, paving the way for especially like as a like as a female advocate. Like I feel like it's getting like it's getting so much better. Um, but it's still really nice to see um women like make making these big changes and and making their way in politics. So um someone to look up to. Like I I would I said I always looked up to you. So just like having a role model is so important. So um I really thank you for that. So thank you for the work that you do and for including me. I I was listening to the podcast over the past couple of days and they're amazing. Um, and the name itself is also just fantastic. So. <laughs> I know you're all over the puns. Like I remember every time, like yeah. I guess still, like every time on your Instagram, it's always a pun. And I like so appreciate that. I love the puns. <laughs> I made a vow that every Instagram caption would include a pun and I've stuck to it. <laughs>